1: Hi everyone, and welcome to Confessions of a Debut Novelist, with me, your host, Chloe Timms. This week, I'm talking to Olivia Fitzsimmons about her literary debut, The Quiet Whispers Never Stop. Olivia is an author and screenwriter from Northern Ireland, now living in Wicklow. Several of her short stories have been shortlisted for prizes, and she also has two feature films in development. In this episode, we discuss writing so-called difficult female characters, her tips for writing great dialogue, and what sustains her creatively. But first, here's Olivia with an excerpt from The Quiet Whispers Never Stop.
2: Neon Loneliness, Nulla, 1981. Every day he appears as a special occasion. I don't pretend to myself that it is anything other than what it is. I want him to think about me. I am blatant, like red lips on Sunday faces. Shiny paint and shoes with a short skirt. Coyness is not going to be part of my armoury. Teenage girls have that in spades and I couldn't hope to prime away from their endless innocence despite the finite surety of that one fleeting special thing. I am old. I am experience. I am living, breathing lust. I am not playing games and that is new to him. It is not my newness he wants. He wants to know my stretched skin. And I want his youth, devotion, fall in love with me just a little, the ticking need of all that. I want to succumb to it all, be whispered about, the dirty, beating heart of gossip. I want people to stir and turn their heads away, smile and wince. I want everyone to remember me. I want to feel something anything real. I just don't realise soon enough that is not what he wants. He wants silence and secrets and some sort of respectability that I have missed. In all that rush, I've missed it. Missed his camouflage cruelty until it is too late, and I become the tiniest Matryoshka doll locked inside all the other painted versions of me he's created, glazed with a shiny and improbable luster that only a teenage boy can conjure ready to be destroyed with all the rage his broken heart can bleed into my world. I'm careless with myself. In the end, it is loneliness that blinds me. Long, silent days of broken sleep and washing and peekaboo and nappies and weekday dinners that kill me. Dull my senses, so much I could just walk into oncoming traffic and no one would even notice me. I wouldn't notice me. I've forgotten myself in petty little increments. The shaky feeling of knowing who you are but not wanting to admit it to yourself. Pretending to be someone else for so long that you forget yourself. The first time you see a reflection and think you're beautiful. And the last time someone makes you feel ugly. And you believe them. It's all and more of those things. As simple and as complicated as breathing. As
1: life itself. Hi, Olivia. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really happy to have you here with me today to talk about your debut novel, The Quiet Whispers Never Stop.
2: Hi, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me on. This is so nice. And can I just say, I inhaled your novel, The Same Woman. I literally like could not put it down. Um, it's just amazing. So if anyone's listening to this, I think you should out <laughs> and buy this first, even before you get my book. <laughs> oh,
1: it's really so incredible. <laughs> so can you start by telling us what The Quiet Whispers Never Stop is about?
2: Yeah, The Quiet Whispers Never Stop um, is set in rural Northern Ireland. um, And we meet Sam in 1994. She's a 17-year-old teenager and she's in her last year of school. um, And she's got difficulties with her father. She's taking too many drugs. She's failing at her exams. And she meets this older, jagged, magnetic man and starts in a relationship with him that she probably shouldn't. Um, And then the book moves back to the 1980s. um, And we meet Sam's mother, Nuala. And she's living this very small life in a small town, and she's very, very frustrated. Um, she finds it really difficult with her husband, two small children. Um, and she meets a teenage boy, and she starts an enlist- refer with him, and the consequences of which will reverberate throughout her life and Sam's life for the next 12, 15 years. Um, and basically, both women are much more like each other than they know. And mm. uh, that's the story. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there.
1: <laughs> I read an interview with you where you described them as like difficult women in a difficult time. And yeah. I think that's a perfect summary of their of their situation because they're quite kind of, I guess, quite spiky characters as well, aren't they?
2: Yeah, they're they're difficult women survive in a difficult place. And I, I mm. really um, I really wanted to write a book that um showed complicated female characters and um women who weren't straightforwardly nice and that you might struggle to identify with at first but actually I really hope that Nola's character in particular even though she's quite selfish and she does some very questionable things and you can't kind of help but empathize with her situation Mm. and I think you know that was one of the things I really wanted to achieve with that character was that you read it and you think no but also Mm. you kind of understand her you know and it was hugely important for me to get that across in the book
1: yeah oh 100% like she's incredibly flawed and she does some things that are would be would be controversial in in the 80s when (laughs) when the the novel set but even now Mm. you read and think oh god like um, (laughs) but I did I, I did find her incredibly empathetic did you feel that you worried a little bit about how readers would feel or did you kind of write thinking I'm gonna write her and this is how she is and I don't care how people feel
2: yeah so I um I never planned to write a novel it wasn't like when I was a kid I thought oh I'll write a book and I I come from a very working class background so I think when I started actually I was in pure denial I was like I'm not writing a novel (laughs) um and (laughs) so I didn't think too much about readers I'll be honest I just wanted to to write a difficult female character and and someone who I wanted to show another side of motherhood you know I kind of was getting and it's interesting because there's a lot of things at the minute that are showing this different side of motherhood and I just really thought it was important to put it on the page and and to kind of have um, like a friend of mine said that she read the book and she felt she felt like she wanted to mother Sam have a stern word with Nilla and save (laughs) save Margaret and so I laughed because she said like all those characters really spoke to her but she identified with them at different parts of her life. And she found it incredible now that she was at this age where she could look back and go, Oh my God, like, I get this, but I'm so frustrated with that, you know, the mm-hmm. character. But I also understand where the other one, you know, so I, I thought that was, and that made me feel like I succeeded in a way. I don't know how to explain it, but it was only after it's, it's funny. Only recently that I've thought, Oh my God, you know, people are going to think I'm a terrible mother to my kids. <laughs> Cause they're going to be like, Oh yeah, that's her. It's really not. <laughs> but I only it was I was asked the question by a journalist and suddenly I went, oh,
1: my you're not God. running. You're not running <laughs> off with the paperboy then.
2: Unfortunately not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Um, yeah. So um, I, I didn't I hadn't considered it, but I think because for so long I just was like, you know, I'm actually writing short stories and they're all set around a place and they're Kaleida collection. And it took me quite a while to not that long but it took me a while to, to admit to anybody that I or admit to myself mm. that I was writing a novel but people who knew you know better than me were like that's what you're doing and I'm like no 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 I spend a lot of my time <laughs> saying no but when I'm actually <laughs> t- tricking myself into doing it
1: <laughs> so did the theme come to you first did you decide okay I want to write about difficult women was or was it for the characters did they come to you what was the kind of the starting point for this even though you weren't writing a novel of course you were just you know fiddling around with some words but what what how did it all start
2: yeah I wrote this story so I I am um, so funny because I I wrote this story I said well I think I said I'm never writing about Northern Ireland it's like I'm not doing that and I'm not writing a novel and of course those are the two things <laughs> that I have done um, and I but I started with the story called Shaped and um it had quite a, a few of the characters like Patsy, Sam, Murphy like in the story <clears throat> and it was set where I'm from and um, and then from there I kind of went off on these kind of little tangents and I guess I just it wasn't I think plot and everything comes to me through character. so mm-hmm. and I don't plan anything so I, I write quite intuitively um, and I have no formal background in in writing I didn't do a master's in creative writing or any of that stuff um, I did a six-month course with a sting of fly which was really amazing that's where I met my writer's group cofo check off or fuck off as we as we're known <laughs> and I love that um, it's great I know it wasn't me that coined it unfortunately Stephen <laughs> Walsh <laughs> Shine Variance is his first short story collection it's very good she knows about that um and um yeah so I kind of um I kind of find my way that way through character and I think like interestingly enough I wrote Nil in the first person and I never changed that like it just you know um it just kind of it took off from from that kind of exploring that idea of motherhood that's not always sing because there's a real you know especially if you look at Instagram it's all like perfect and mm. you know these women here like immaculately turned out and their babies are really happy and you know you rarely see the other side of things and I just thought it would be interesting and that's, I'm interested in female voices I always have been and um, and also I just was I think I was maybe fed up of seeing these kind of just motherhood's very it's a very interesting thing like it's 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 so tenuous and also it's just such a like you don't know whether you're going to like being a parent or not until you really do it so it's one of those things that you can't really change you know until you're Mm. in it and um and I think like I didn't start writing until after I had my kids so I don't know when you know I don't know what it would be like if I did that before and um but I also wanted to show like teenage girls and their kind of power but also that the kind of insolence and confidence and uncertainty that comes from that age and I And as I went on, I realized I thought I'm not writing a political novel, but actually because it's set in Northern Ireland, it can be anything else. But I really wanted The Troubles to be a backdrop. And I didn't, I wanted women's stories to be front and center rather than Mm. the other way around, you know. And it feels like there's quite a lot of us doing that at the moment, you know, which is, but there's always been people writing about, you know, Deirdre Madden is a great novelist. And she's been writing about women's stories in Northern Ireland. So it it just felt for me, once I started, I couldn't sort of stop, you know, Mm. um and I ended up writing the novel really quickly like in a couple of months the first draft and um of course I thought I'm done (laughs) (laughs) little did I know how it actually worked (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so that's kind of how I got started I guess Mm.
1: I read that you said you wanted to write a novel that was universal and you kind of wanted to You've said already you wanted to kind of push back against this idea that you had to write a particular book if you were writing it set in Northern Ireland. You didn't necessarily want to focus on the troubles so much. But can you speak about how it felt for you to kind of go against those expectations that people had of you as a writer or of of a kind of uh, a book set in Northern Ireland?
2: Yeah, I guess you see sometimes. I'm just gonna like I think I think um, places that have experienced trauma. Um, there are so many stories to tell about those places, and it becomes, you know, that there's only one story to tell. There's there's only one mm. way to tell the stories, and I think um, I think Dairy Girls is a really good example of how you know telling something from a different perspective can actually bring more people in and give a lot more understanding to what goes on in, in mm. different places. And I think that, you know, <sighs> books are empathy. Book, books help us understand the world, and there are as many ways of telling a story about a place as there are writers and I I think that you know sometimes people get bored of those like they they kind of go oh I don't want to hear about this again but if you present mm-hmm. things in a different way and um you allowed your, your reader access in a different way then that might resonate with them um, in a way that something hasn't before and so I guess I kind of wanted to really look at it through female gaze and and the female experience And I felt like, you know, for me anyway, it was really important to look at Northern Ireland through that kind of lens, you know. Um, And the idea that people still live their lives, even with all these horrendous things that were going on. um, Teenage girls are still teenage girls, you know.
1: Mm.
2: And that's true for wherever you are in the world, you know. Yeah. Um, I also think it's really important that people just you know, just because you're a working class person, say, or whatever, you don't have to write working class stories. You can write whatever you want, but it's it's just, it's 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 feeling that, like, for me, it was really important that there was the local and universal, so that if someone picks up the book in another country, they will just get it. They will go, oh, I remember being this, you know, mm. I, or they get the sense of what it's like to be a teenager or to be a frustrated mother or whatever it is, yeah. and, and it resonates with them. And I wanted that to be the main thing, that the book mm. could, could be read widely and understood and maybe... Like I'm not the first person to do like it's you know you're never the you're never first to do any of these things but it's just that was kind of the lens the female gaze was really important because I think you know you grow up like I'm I'm you know I'm I'm in my forties uh, and uh, late forties and you grow up you know being given male novels <clears throat> the male gaze is all around you like especially like you know everything I consumed social media or not social media when I was a teenager but like tv radio books you know everything was very male dominated back then Mm. and and so you're being given that you just until you start to question it you don't realize it you know and you don't realize that your your perspective on the world has been shaped by these things you know um and so then it takes a little bit of effort to kind of look around and say okay hold on (laughs) there are Mm. other ways to look at things and so (laughs) I don't know. It's it's fascinating to me how, you know, if you if you move the lens slightly, how something looks completely different.
1: One of the aspects I think that that shines through very strongly is the kind of the element of desire in this novel, because you've got Sam who's kind of coming of age, who's exploring her sexuality, but also Nula as well. Like her. She's got she's got a very kind of raw wanting of this young guy, Um and that's something that you, you kind of rarely, rarely see in fiction, really, is that kind of, even though it's controversial, because obviously he's a teenager and she's having a bit of a kind of like breakdown, I suppose, and, and wanting to rid herself of responsibility and expectation. But that strikes me as something that's very much, I, I could only see a woman writing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, Thanks. Um <laughs> yeah, I thought like yeah, I, I kind of I was actually really worried. I was like, oh my god, what's everybody gonna say about this? But then no one had no one mentioned the Sexton book for ages. So mm. I just thought maybe they don't notice
1: it or whatever. I'm gonna bring it up. <laughs> I, I'm gonna say, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: you know, yeah. And I wanted to do it well, and I wanted to well, whatever that means, but like I wanted it to to kind of work, and I and I hope it does. And that, and that was one of the things. And that I think I was more nervous about. The sex scenes than like the political stuff, mm. you know? I was like, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All the politics is fine. I think that's like... quite
1: normal. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> but yeah, but um and desire is a very powerful thing. And like, you know, that access of the female imagination. And and you know, um I I guess I just really wanted to explore those things and, and to to have it in a book about, you know, set in Northern Ireland and have a lot of sex scenes in it. And and you know, there's sex in the second book as well, so I don't know. maybe maybe a <laughs> third book won't have any. <laughs> I don't know I haven't written that yet, but you know <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope it works and and you know, um, it was something that I was thinking, okay, this is the riskiest thing that I'm doing, but mm. um, I feel it I feel it works for the story, and that's why it's in there, you know it's important.
1: So can you talk to us a little bit about the significance of the title? The Quiet Whispers Never Stop?
2: Yeah so um there's actually a lot of titles in this book as you may have noticed um mm,
1: I did before every chapter has a a title doesn't it yeah yeah
2: and so before I started writing the novel I did a lot of flash um and um because when I started writing like I I wrote a short story um I, I used to go hiking with a group of friends when the kids were really small and everyone kind of had these you know creative backgrounds and we never really talked about what we did before we had our kids and one person was an opera singer and someone else was an artist and a photographer and everybody was trying to <clears throat> get back a little bit to their to their projects but I worked in the film industry and it wasn't easy to walk back on set for like three hours it didn't work like that um, and one of the girls said oh you know you're interested in writing you've written short films or whatever and I was like mm. and she goes you should write a short story and I was like that's literature I can't do that you know <laughs> and she um she sent me this thing she went it's free <laughs> and I didn't even have a laptop, I think, back then. And I wrote it on my phone when the kids were small, the story, and then just borrowed a laptop, you know, typed it up and sent it off. And I never thought about it, really. Like, I just thought, well, you know... And then I started to kind of realise it made me really happy in a way that nothing else was. And I... But I had small children, so I just started then... I found out about Flash, which is almost like lyrical poetry, I suppose, prose poetry. And I started to do little pieces of flash so they're like between you know 50 and 150 words or 250 to 350 right up till a thousands it can be flash and in flash because every word counts so much the titles are really important hugely important mm. and um you know and I became really kind of obsessed with titles and I suppose with with the title for this and all the little mini titles like um I wanted to kind of um, embody the idea that you know gossip can be very destructive and people say things that might not necessarily be true but they take on a life of their own but also the whispering in your own head things that you say mm. to yourself can really change how you feel about yourself in the world and so it's a kind of the title is kind of about all those things it's the it's the it's the voices in your head it's the voices outside it's it's about expectation and and the fact that you can't really turn off that internal voice, but you can decide what you're going to think about and how mm. you see the world and whether you see it with hope or whether you don't. And I think for every character in the book, there's an element of people saying things about them that are and aren't true, but also what they say about themselves and the way they see themselves. It can be a very powerful thing the things that you whisper to yourself when you're alone in the dark, mm. you know, what you really believe about yourself. So that's mm. kind of what the title embodies. <laughs>
1: i'm really glad i asked you that question because i feel like i got so much from your answer there and uh, it really i think it, it it's a it's an amazing title for the book when when you kind of go deeper like you like you've just described
2: and 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 yeah and and the cover you know like i love my cover so much and the cover kind of um is is the mouth obviously but it's also the mountain range where the book is set so it's like a dual there's that kind of dual meaning mm. and i think that speaks to a lot of things in Northern Ireland, you know, they always mean a couple of things, you know, it's never just straightforward, it's never black mm. and white, you know. So, um, but yeah, so thanks for asking. That's a very, that's a very profound question. <laughs> <laughs> it's going
1: to be a very profound answer. It's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> we have to talk about your dialogue because that was one of the things that I absolutely fell in love with in this novel and it's so smart and witty. And I just wondered whether, that comes easily to you or is that something you really have to work at?
2: so um because of my background of film like I'm really interested in all that and I probably um like it's the one thing that I I could still go back with the oil not the one thing actually there's probably loads of things <laughs> but with, with the old red pen and be like let's change this a little bit and um yeah I think it comes it, sometimes it comes really easily I, I think but but Sometimes I, I would be picky. Like I would go, my friend's mother has a great saying which is um, little pickers wear big knickers and she, she has. And I feel like that a bit with dialogue. So I'll go back in again and again and again. Like I'll be, and, you know, and then sometimes I think with dialogue, some things just come to you and you just, the flow was amazing. And it's about the rhythm and stuff, but it, it's one of the things I enjoy, like trying to make it better. Like you think mm. this is really good. And then you go, actually, that's terrible. Uh, or it's the thing you can, might write and then the next day you think it's amazing and you wake up the next day and you read it and you think, oh my God, you know, but I, I feel like I have a tendency towards film whereby I don't want to write a straightforward piece of dialogue. Like I want to do, you know, the big, ma- the Royale and cheese or whatever, you know, I, I feel like you don't want to be talking about what you're talking about, but you also want to be talking about what you're talking about. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that's quite hard to do in books and maybe it's easier to do in film and You know, I I recently did like a a while ago. I did a half hour TV pilot for the book just to see if I could. I just want to see what it would be like. And I changed some of the dialogue in the the TV pilot, and I was like, "Damn!" You know, look at you know, and I I just can't help myself. I think it's, I think it's something you can learn though. I think it's it's just because you know, it's not like real life. You know, it's not like Mm. us having this conversation. It's kind of it's real life but staged or whatever. Mm. So. But I'm very, thank you very much. You 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 know how to get to the heart of me. I'm like, I'm so happy. That.
1: <laughs>
2: That's so me, very you,
1: happy. <laughs> are you someone that will, when you're kind of editing your dialogue, will you read it out loud? Like, how do you find what sounds good? Or is it just something you know kind of instinctively?
2: Um, I read it out loud. I think um, I had this app that my husband sent me that all these film people use where Gwyneth Paltrow reads out your dialogue. Oh, she wow. Reads out, yeah and I listened <laughs> and so I listened to her and I thought now if it sounds good with Gwyneth and then I was like does everything sound good when Gwyneth says it maybe it does that's the problem <laughs> but then that's you would hear <laughs> yeah exactly it's all like hey Olivia you know but um so but I I am um, I do read it out quite a lot um the problem is and um that it's funny because sometimes you know my, I have small kids and um I realized there were bits that I didn't read out because I was thinking they really can't hear this, you know. Mm. <laughs> so I have to wait till times so when there's no one around. Or um, so I kind of I think for it's interesting because I think for the second book I'm gonna do a lot more of that. I think it was Kevin Barry who was talking about reading things loud. And I find when you read your ear just hears it, but also um I sometimes put things in a different font. So I change oh, okay. how it looks on the page. So I might change to like a like a really like a nasty font, just because then you'll you'll see it you know and you'll mm. and I sometimes use the read aloud button but um a friend has a really good place. she reads other she gets other people to read it and she was saying what I did do sometimes was record things into my phone and then listen back and it's if you get that kind of you know that kind of creak you're you kind of cringe mm. and you're you know you know you think yourself oh that needs to go oh god mm. you know and generally most of the time the stuff that you get rid of you know you don't miss it. You really, yeah. I, f- I think that's where editing, when you're cutting back mm. on, on dialogue, can be, yeah, that's where you notice it. You're thinking, I don't miss that. don't miss that at mm. all. So that's it shouldn't right. be there. Yeah.
0: When you're ready to pop the question,
2: the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to
0: BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN.
2: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.
1: So I want to go back to something you said earlier about how you come from a working class background. You kind of, I read that you said you never thought this was a career you could get into. You know, it it wasn't a viable career option. So at what point then did you did you have faith in yourself and you have faith in your work enough to kind of pursue taking it seriously?
2: Oh, faith. Faith is a very contentious
1: word for me. Um as an ex-Catholic. <laughs>
2: I'm fully fledged atheist these days. Faith, faith. Oh, I wish I had faith. Um yeah, I don't know. I think um I'll always be striving to match my ability uh my like my my ambitions and my craft like I think every time I come to the page I think how did I do this again and Mm -hmm. um I I just I want to be like an artist in that way like a a painter or filmmaker director and I want to get better as I go along and I want to be able to explore things further in my career and have the space and time to think about things and um and I I didn't really tell anybody that I was doing this when I decided I would you know it it almost happened um I suppose it happened actually it really happened from a place of failure like I was in the film industry for a long time and and the stories that I wanted to tell when I was like 25 26 it's just people weren't really interested in like women's voices from Northern Ireland which has slightly changed now but um back then when I, I was still wanted to talk about difficult women when I was younger but it just there wasn't just wasn't there was just wasn't the same kind of interest and I think for a long time, I thought that I, I was trying to live a creative life. I didn't know how that was going to manifest itself. Um, But being from like, you know, and I, and I went to Trinity and I, you know, it's not, I did history and I, but I, my parents just, you know, you couldn't survive as an artist. Like you, Mm. you couldn't make enough money to have that as a viable career. So, you know, I'm from that background where education is is what sets you free basically it's it's like go and be a teacher or a lawyer you know a doctor or whatever if you're bright that's what you're going to do and you're going to you're going to get a career and it's going to bring money and security and those things to the family and I think you know my dad's a brickie was my brickie and my mum was a hairdresser and I had stay at home mum and I just think for them the idea of having a career in the arts was so so far away and something that wasn't really tangible so it wasn't it wasn't something that I ever considered, and I think when I decided, I worked in advertising London for a good couple of years in a really great agency, uh, BMP, DDB, and I, you know, I, I never expect to get that job, and then when I did film, you know, I I really saw how, you know, the industry is quite skewed to people who have a bit of money because you're not getting paid for lots of stuff, and you're doing free internships and all that stuff. So that was a real slog, but actually, I I just I loved it, and then when I tried again then to be more creative in that job, I realized that it was quite hard. And I think really I came to novel writing from a place of like not really succeeding in the film industry and thinking that it was my fault. And maybe my voice wasn't, I wasn't really that talented. And then the idea of going into literature was almost like, it was just something I could never have imagined as a child. Like I love books, but I just never thought that I would be a person who could write them because I just, it wasn't something that was in my kind of, scope or Mm. or or just I didn't know anybody who was not that you not you need to but I didn't know anybody who I thought was like me and so I think there was sort of a freedom in that in a way because when I set off to do it I just never thought about getting published so I just thought well you know I love doing this this gives me a lot of joy and I was writing around the kids I was putting them to bed and then staying up to write or I was you know writing on little notebooks in the car or they go to athletics and I'd be on my phone like typing type it away and it was all done in kind of scraps of time and so you know I really I kind of I feel like there's a there's a benefit to that because you don't actually know what you're doing and so you don't there's no in, in some ways that fear of like not fitting the mold is gone but also then also you don't have you know you're you know you also maybe have low expectations or you you know you don't know how to kind of traverse certain things like you know when mm. I started didn't know any of writers I know loads now but I didn't know anybody and mm. you know I think one of the greatest things about doing this is the sense of community that there is now for me and the people I've met like I didn't know I was going to meet you a couple of years ago I didn't know that mm. this was on the cards and there's a real joy <laughs> in that you know but I think I think yeah like I for a, for a long while I was really worried actually that I didn't have like a master's in creative writing or I didn't have a background and this was a, the one of the only things I'm not trained to do is what I've ended up doing and I I want to write forever like I make no bones about that but I love it and like I just I would like this to be my career for for until I like you know until I'm not here anymore and I didn't expect to find something when I was in like my kind of mid 40s that I would just love so much and that would change mm. my life so dramatically and so really you know I mean I didn't show anybody I had a couple of writer friends but I didn't really show anybody the film manuscript and it went to the novel fair which is in the Irish Writer Centre which is the national organization here for writers and and like sent it in on a whim and like I remember going in that day and my kids were with me and uh, they called it the cookie centre because they had all the biscuits while I was signing the forms. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I got home my we, we had a whole day out. We went to Hodges, Vegas, which is like part of chains over here. The kids saw people drinking wine and reading books at a book launch and went, is that why you go to book launches? There's wine and books. It totally makes sense. <laughs> That's I was the like, only no. reason, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, no,
2: no. And then, so then I bought them loads of books to get over that because I was like, oh God. <laughs> and then we went. And when we came back, my my husband was in the driveway. And my dad um was very ill and I was being told to get home because he was going to die. And so the whole like handing in my novel to the novel fair and all that stuff was kind of and he never knew he died that weekend he never knew that I was going to get published he never knew any of this stuff and I think he would have been even though he was pretty much like you know he was very funny about art whatever but I think he actually would have been quite proud of me and and doing something that like seemed so you know like just so far away from from you know he left school and he was really young and so my mom and from their experience I think he would have enjoyed all the crack about like the book Mm. coming out and you know, all that stuff. Um, But I think it's kind of scary. And I think it's really good to meet other people who also haven't come up through certain ways or who never expected to write books. But I, I kind of love that there's more of an open conversation about it. Now it's okay to say, well, I never thought about doing this because I, Mm. you know, do you know, I don't know how you feel about it, but it's just, it's, I think then you might be encouraging someone who's like you or who, can see something of themselves in you to take the chance and just to do something for themselves to start writing and they never know where it's going to take them you know Mm.
1: and I know at the start of your career you entered quite a lot of competitions and won several um, awards for your short story writing do you think that had a a big impact on your kind of confidence and your desire to carry on writing
2: yeah because I well the first one was just a fluke and I thought at the start this is great like I got shortlisted for this sunny business penguin uh short story price <laughs> not realizing that it probably never happened again um and then nothing happened for a year like I didn't get nothing nothing and then I thought okay I'm terrible at this and I should give up and I sent um a story a flash story to retreat west and Tanya Hirschman was judging and I didn't hear about it um and I thought to myself, I can't, I'm just really bad at this, I can't do it, and, but then I got shortlisted for that, and I got in the anthology, and they told me, they said, oh, we made decisions before the end of the year, but we're only emailing you now, so I was like, okay, fine, that works for me, <laughs> but like, I hadn't stopped writing, and, um, but it's funny, a lot of the organizations, like, that I, you know, got shortlisted for, or um, that supported me early on, have had me back, which is just, like, there's something about that actually which now is just so rewarding to me mm. and um I was really lucky I had support from like fiction at the Fry which is Daniel McLaughlin who's an amazing writer and Madeline um, Darcy and they just both of them were just incredible and you know I had this amazing prize where I got to go and read at Cork International Short Story Festival and they mentored me and we did about kind of presentation it was just incredible and they had me back a while ago and it was quite emotional for me because I was back as like like an author you know and they mm-hmm. were there right at the start and I'm going to the John Hewitt Society uh, summer school in Norma and I'm coming back as an author and I went there first as a bursary resident and uh you know I was a summer school it's a summer school it's an amazing project and you get you know some writing classes and you get to listen to all these incredible authors here from all over the world they come for the week and like to go back I went back and volunteered you know to kind of pay it back to them and then now I'm going to be there like talking about my own work like it's those are the kind of things that are just they're incredible and I think we're really lucky in Ireland it's very supportive here mm. and and, I, and also like I've actually like this is the thing I think even if you win in prizes or you get shortlisted you know even if you don't it doesn't mean you should stop writing it's actually it's it's really good to, to kind of learn how to be resilient and to learn that rejection is part of a writer's life. It's just a muscle that you need to kind of use and and, and become aware of the fact that you know this is continuous like being told no and not getting the things you want mm-hmm. will happen for the rest of your career. It's very uncertain. but if you love it, keep going and I think particularly you know, I don't think I understood that as much as I do now, but I actually, You know, it's a bit like parenting, actually. My friend, my friend um who, I don't know if she's listening, happy birthday, she's in New York. And she said parenting was basically like, shit, 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 joy, shit, 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 joy. (laughs) And publishing, I think writing is a bit like that. Yeah, I would agree. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) but that was her advice to me. And it it works for this, it works for Mm. writing too.
1: (laughs) Great advice. (laughs) <laughs> i wanted to read something to you which is in your acknowledgements which i really loved um so it says for everyone making art and to everyone who consumes it supports the makers in emotional practical financial and other magical ways thank you for living believing and sustaining creative lives so i wondered what are the things that you that, that sustained you creatively
2: oh um that's very nice gosh thank you
1: um <laughs> it's a beautiful uh, quote I think it's like, I want it framed. You know, like that's how nice it is. Oh, my! thank you.
2: <laughs> um, so well, I really believe that, you see. Like, I, mm. I think I've, even though I, I didn't always know I wanted to be a writer, I've always wanted to live a creative life. And like this, for example, these conversations, this conversation I'm having with you will sustain me now. This will carry me through this week. And mm. even just like, like the community that I've met, like the debut writers group, for example, that we're part of, Which is how we met, like, you know, the connections that you made. And I love the magic of writing. I love the idea that, like, you know, I did not know that you and me would have this conversation a couple of years ago. Like, that's one of the things. And so the the kind of joy of the possibility of what's going to happen and where writing Mm -hmm. has brought me is something that absolutely sustains me. Like I I won this bursary, I'm going to go to Paris for a month as um from the CCI Paris and Literature Ireland. And and like just, just the Just the knowledge that I'm going to Paris is Mm. getting me through loads of stuff, but also (laughs) the things that are going to happen that I just cannot imagine the people Mm. that I'm going to meet, the experiences. I feel like what writing has done for me is it has really opened up my life in a way that I wasn't expecting. And there is an absolute magic in that. And so, community absolutely sustains me. Like, I have a very good friend, I'm very lucky actually, really lovely writers, and I have a friend, Michelle Walsh. um I'm she reads a lot of my work and I read lots of hers and then I have a couple of other groups with like you know my co and the misfit group and every you know and diligence and every kind of joy or success for everyone like you kind of feel it and I really believe in abundance so I believe that like you know we should come from an open an open mindset and if you have an open mindset that it, it means then that you understand in a way well for me that if if I don't get an award if I don't get um a residency or funding, someone else who really needs that money, who really needs it for their art or their life or the practice gets it. And then if I believe in the open mindset and the the principle of abundance, it will enrich the whole ecosystem of arts practice. And I may read a book by them in 10 years or in two, or I may go and see a painting or a movie and then that will come back to me and it will develop my practice. But it also just creates this really rich and thriving world that I want to live in so I Mm. I kind of believe in this idea that people are given things or they're given things that they get and they need and if you have that open mindset I think things come to you and and you kind of kind of encourage like things to come to your or or the conversations and it's it's a lovely like I I try to And obviously you know I also know that when I don't get things I'm like (laughs) that it's really hard you know and (laughs) and and I have have to have that
1: bit first and then then the abundance comes afterwards
2: (laughs) yeah you know you can't you know no no sunshine without jars type Mm. things you know but I think if you kind of believe that like um we're all kind of in this together and there's space for everybody and and you know the most unique thing about everyone is their voices and I want to hear all those voices I I think that's something that you know that I really I enjoy and I, I think books books are just magic like I really believe that you know they can do things that other things just can't and it's just it's a gift to be able to write And um, but also all the wonderful people I've met so I guess those are the kind of community and magic sounds very it's it's a very random like I'm like well the magic of writing but it, you know I just <laughs> I think there is some kind of alchemy to it I really do
1: so you've already teased a little bit about that you're working on novel number three but are you able to share Anything about what you're working on at the moment, either book two or number three?
2: Uh, so book two um is actually not set in Northern Ireland. There's the first thing. Um it's going to be set, it's set in Paris, uh West Cork and kind of South Dublin, Wicklow. Um and it's about um a character called Charlotte and her husband Rob. And Charlotte's a GP, and Rob works as a model maker for um film and advertising. Um And Charlotte uh, and her husband, Rob, are struggling with grief. Um, They lost their only son, Max, two years previously in an accident. Um, And it's basically about kind of how um, they both cope with different types of, you know, they both cope with grief. And Rob is a a kind of acceptable alcoholic, which there are a lot of in Ireland, social drinker. Um, And Charlotte uh, has affairs. Um, and that's how she copes with the grief of, of the loss of her son um but as she um what happens to the character Char Um, she develops a condition called Charles um, Bonet syndrome which is when you go when you're going blind if you lose your sight partially um it brings on visual hallucinations and um when she gets these visual hallucinations she starts to get images of her dead son Max and so she puts herself in more and more traumatic um kind of positions so she can conjure up these images of her deaths on that. and I suppose it's a book about whether you can be a mother without a child so it's the opposite really of what I was doing in the mm. first book because it was about you know um a daughter without a mother and um yeah and so it kind of it's second person oh <laughs> I know I like no I like uh, second uh, person I'm all yeah. for it yeah so um mm. and uh yeah and it's kind of uh it shows kind of Charlotte's disintegration um, as she kind of succumbs to to this condition, but also um, it's looking at the p- private and public self because she's a GP and it's mm. looking about failure and, um, and kind of how we present ourselves to the world and how grief can be this thing that, if it's not dealt with, um, can overtake our whole entire lives and who we think we are. And yeah, so I'm about 30,000 words in um and yeah kind of it's it's going to be I mean I'm I'm writing about like you know um as usual with what I realized I write about lots of things um uh but yeah the sex in this book is very different it's it's quite sad it's quite grasping and it's more a kind of a means to an end and so um it'll be interesting to see how that works and Charlotte again is another extremely dislikable character who I hope you feel quite sorry for um but it's it's a much kind of it's like cooler kind of um because she's a bit more academic about things and um it's it's all told from her perspective. So um and you kind of I want the reader to be kind of implicit in what she does. So you're you're there and you're she's doing these terrible things and you can't look away. Um mm. and I guess like because I don't really plan things, um I kind of have an idea of where it's going and I think. She kind of has to hit rock bottom before she comes back up again, and um. But it's a study in a marriage like, that's kind of being destroyed, ravaged by grief, you know. Mm. Um. So and I, I want to look at the art world and yeah, it's a it's just it's a lot of complicated <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and well,
1: I think it sounds incredible. It really does. I'm really looking forward to reading it mm. whenever that may be. But thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Olivia.
2: Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Such interesting questions, and I'm
1: just. Such a joy to talk to you. Thank you, Chloe. That was Olivia Fitzsimmons talking about her literary debut, The Quiet Whispers Never Stop, which is out now and available to buy. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you've subscribed already, it'd be great if you could leave me a review. See you next time.